Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisila. Welcome Hello. to Business Visual. This is Stephanie Thomas, or SM. I don't know which you prefer, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to go by Steph when I'm talking to people because SM is a bit of a okay. weird name, isn't it? <laughs> but I mean, I, mine's Aisla. I can't judge. <laughs> like, I cause people so much stress, and I really, that makes me sad because I never want to, but I'm like, I, I like this name, so we're keeping it. But <laughs> My married name's the same. I have to spell it everywhere I go. So I stick with my maiden name for books because it's Thomas. It's like the tank engine, nice and easy. Yeah, exactly. It's very simple and easy to, to uh, pronounce and read. And that actually is a benefit. People do people get stressed out because they care. And then you're, I'm always reassuring them, like, it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, so Stephanie, uh, or Steph, excuse me, has okay. both written at least one book. And then also started a publishing company and is in the middle of, I believe, a draft on a new book and has a really interesting story about how she was able to find the way to get her words out and a commitment to helping others get their words out. So um, I just want to give people a chance to hear more about how that came up for you. Like people always talk about, I guess not everybody, but I hear lots of people talk, oh, I haven't read a book. But to go from the thought to the action, there's something to that. So how did you make that happen for yourself? I think it's madness. I think um, going from thinking about a book to writing a book is absolute madness. Don't trust any writers. We're all mad. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, Thank you for that. <laughs> sorry to all the writing community. I'm speaking for us all. We're all mad. <laughs> I apologize. The dog, um, it's thundering, of course, here. So the dogs are going to help us. Uh, it's because he agrees with me. He knows that we're all mental. Background. Where do you I do think that to be a writer is a bit mental. You've got to be to dream up these characters and the, and the things that we do to them. You've got to have a little bit of madness about you, I think. Mm -hmm. But um, so I have always written like since I could form words, I've always been telling stories. Um, got me a bit of reputation as a bit liar. Uh, when I was little, <laughs> I used to make up the most fantastical uh -huh. stories to try and get myself out of trouble. Um, and then and eventually, I started Did it work? Um, sometimes Were you successful? Yeah. Every now and again, but my parents caught on pretty quick, bless them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Teachers not so much, parents. Oh, okay, good. So you learned where your audience was. <laughs> exactly, exactly. People that didn't know me that's the that's my friends. um and then I started actually writing stories rather than just telling them um and, and I sort of started 
taking it seriously, I did a script writing course at university in Lincoln. Um, Lincoln, not your Lincoln. I didn't travel that far. <laughs> and um, I, I just thought to myself, when am I ever going to have three years to just write again? Like, when's that ever going to happen? Um, so I did I had a fantastic time, made some brilliant friends, and um, thankfully had some really, really supportive and encouraging teachers. Um, one of which put me up for an award, which I didn't win, but she believed in me enough to put me up for it. So I'll be forever grateful for that. And uh, that feels really good, um, right? Yeah. Yeah, it did. It was like, believing you at that level. Yeah, and especially because I respected her so much that her opinion to that height meant a lot to me. Um, I say um a lot. I'm very aware of that. I do. My characters don't, but I do. <laughs> I then, touch my face, and you're not supposed to do that. So, like, know, you know, we're all like, I sit like this, so I don't fidget. <laughs> oh, so smart. I'm like, <laughs> we've all got our things, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got off as a receptionist when I was seventeen. Um, which meant when I was on the evening shift and I didn't have a lot of customers, I had a lot of time to just sit and create my own little worlds. Um, a lot of my colleagues thought I was a bit mad because <laughs> it was saved <laughs> on a shared computer so anybody could read it at any time. <laughs> okay. Looking back, they weren't wrong. Um, but from that, I thought to myself, this is something I really enjoy doing. It's something that I... I turn to a lot in times of stress. Like if I'd had a really hard night at work, I'd sit and write and that would make me feel mm-hmm. a million times better. Um, some people jog, I put a pen to paper. We've all got our mental health coping mechanisms. And um, I think that comes through quite a lot of my writing because mm-hmm. my characters do tend to go through the ringer. And mm-hmm. sometimes they come out the outside okay. <laughs> do you punish them when you're in a bad mood? <laughs> I punish them around them when I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm like, I'm like, that's fantastic. It's very healthy. I yeah. I use D and D. That's my that's how I get through it. What D and D? Oh, Dungeons and Dragons, the like yes. role playing games. Yes. I've never that played my... it. I, I, oh, I'm so on the forums because I love the world building of it. It's, it's just fabulous. Right. Yeah. There's so much. Um, it's collaborative. I have tended to play with people who do more collaborative storytelling. So you kind of, you're basically telling a group story, but the, the person running it is kind of the primary world builder. And it was when my kids were younger, you know, cause as a mom, right? Like you have to always be so selfless and giving and you have to constantly show up. And so I would play this game with my friends and I would play like assassins and mercenaries. And I would just be like ruthless and <laughs> selfish and just like, I mean, I mean, you can't, you, as collaboratively, obviously, you have to limit that a little bit, but as to the extent that I could, and it just helped me to get that out <laughs> so that yep. I could go back to like, you know, the 47th, you know, time playing shoots and ladders. It's like, I might die, but, <laughs> Here we go. but you got to do it because like, that's where they're at and you have to help them develop. But so exactly. that storytelling piece and that mental health piece, it's always been this combination of creativity and expression and and then it does feed something in my own. So I, I hear it from that person. I like to write too, but I would say that actually playing the storytelling game was where I 
manage that for a long time. So, and you did say actually when we were chatting or in the pre-show conversation stuff that um, you had a journey around that, that like your mental health process and your writing process were somehow interwoven. Is that, or did I misunderstand that or? No, you definitely understood that. Um, okay. The, my first book, The Light, um, which I published in 2018. So I've been writing it for a while, but just picking it up here and there, writing the bits I liked, leaving out the boring middle bits. And then, <laughs> and then so I had my son two years prior. I had my first son in 2016. And I, because I have anxiety and depression anyway I because it wasn't the best birth I ended up with PMD and the light really brought, helped me through that and I thought these words don't do me any good just on my screen and that's the moment I decided to publish my first book I was like when you have depression or anxiety or PMD or anything the world can seem so small and you can feel so alone and yeah having a different world to escape to is a lifesaver and I just sort of thought if I enjoy writing it maybe someone will enjoy reading it and that's when I probably had a glass of wine and published it so yeah it's definitely definitely interwoven the two with me anyway uh-huh. that's really beautiful and yeah I mean I don't know I like I said I do some writing and there's something in it where and honestly, in any creation, like I've had it happen with a podcast where people will reach out and they'll say, wow, that really touched me or I related to that. And there's just something so powerful in that to feel like, oh, this this thing that was true and deep or meaningful to me was also true or expressive or something to this other person. And it's that connection or that lack of isolation. It just feels really powerful. Um, and like on both sides, I think. So that it's beautiful that like you were like, I have this thing, help me. Let me see how it'll do. And it did pretty well, right? Like folks, have yeah. any, has anyone responded in that way to you? Cause I know that, I don't know like how that goes in the self-publishing world. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us um, it's like blogs or podcasts, very internet focused. So it's very easy to get that feedback. Yeah. Um, it's very, very hard to get feedback actually on self-published books so if you happen to read a book by an independent author please leave a review because it means the world to us um even if it's just a thumbs up it literally means the world to us um that's my little do do good for the writing community <laughs> and i've put your uh, website down here so people can find you and i'll have it in the notes but yeah there you go so people can go see what you're up to and get you know go live a thumbs up guys <laughs> every little helps every vote helps but um, with the light the people that reached out to me the most were people that I knew I might not necessarily have spoken to them in a long time because a lot of people on my Facebook so obviously <clears throat> with Facebook you make friends throughout your life don't you so it might be somebody you haven't spoken to since college and they reached out to me after reading it to say how much they enjoyed it how much they enjoyed the character's journey little bits and pieces that reached out to them and it it was lovely speaking to them again and that's probably been one of my favorite things with the light is reconnecting people but yeah no it was it's been interesting yeah. I'll, I'll say I that imagine. I can imagine so one of the questions I like to ask is what is a, a hobby or an interest you have that people even you know might be surprised about 
Um, I game a lot. I don't know if people that about me because I tend to say I play with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I'm the one that's filling up the Pokedex on my own time. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love a game. Um, what me else? too. <laughs> I'm a pretty open book to be honest like most yeah. people, if people ever want to know anything about me I tell them like I'm mm-hmm. pretty stupid in that regard <laughs> yeah I'm with you on that I get it like a friend a really good friend of mine a long time ago and it's part of what made me think of it is she was like super like mathy and feminist like she had like a degree from Stanford <clears> in <throat> math and she taught math but she loved America's top model and when she told me that I was like how how is that work <laughs> don't understand <laughs> which of course we all have things so like that's why I was like you know it's a good question it's like something fun to ask I'm a, I'm a massive feminist um and women's rights and all of this stuff and people are, are shocked when they realize that I watch the Kardashians like I love the Kardashians because <laughs> if you're a fe- my view on it is if you're a feminist then you support women no matter what they're doing mm-hmm. and you can't deny that those women I'm gonna go on a Kardashians rant now you can't ready deny for it. <laughs> that those women have made an absolute career out of doing what they do in a way nobody before them has ever done and probably nobody ever after them has ever done they they're just workaholics they grind for what they mm-hmm. get and just because they're influencers and they, they don't have a talent but they they do because do what they do and having people interested in what they do is a talent and as a feminist i support women there you go, <laughs> there you go. okay give me a call <laughs> that's right they, you can write a story about how you met them because of this this moment in time i mean hopefully that'd be super fun christian and then typing me an end right now probably right now (laughs) I mean you gotta put it out there what is the best advice that you've either received or heard coming out of your mouth I don't know if that ever happens to you but someone will ask me a question and I'll say and as I'm saying it I'm like wow that's really good (laughs) I don't know where that came from (laughs) so it's equally valid whichever one you feel interested in sharing or both um the best advice I've ever got is if you want people to invest in you first you have to invest in yourself and Mm. that's where this journey with the disease and the publishing house and everything's come from because if I want people to invest in my work then I need to prove that I care enough that I believe enough to invest Mm. my time and my money and my soul at times into this process Mm -hmm. and the best advice I think I've ever given is get a divorce but that's a different story I actually understand that as well. So um, they're just that sometimes it's what you got to do. Um, and the, and you said the diseased is coming out or is it on already second, out? It's out on the 2nd of September. Wow. Perfect. So everybody, so there you go. In just a couple of weeks, you can go check yeah. that out. Um, and then, I will have to say, like, one of the things that I love in the responses that you can shared in all my different questions was that you seem like, so excited to help other people have the same experience. And a part of why, like, I did the whole business as unusual story for me is to really focus on that, the ways in which people are taking these different platforms and then creating sort of a new 
way of, um, I'll here, I'll do this so you don't have to just be all by yourself. <laughs> they take these different platforms um, and, and instead of making it just like me and my, you know, success and wealth, but like, how do we do something that makes it so that we can all win? How do we all rise together? And so I love that the way that you're like, I love this process and I'm excited to help someone else. And I know you said that's a little bit down the road, but what do you think makes that happen for you? Is it more time or like more understanding or I don't know? To be honest, what's the biggest roadblock in me taking another author's journey at the moment is probably money because it's cost mm -hmm. a lot to and that's just me being honest I haven't got GoFundMe or anything like that I'm gonna do mm -hmm. it on my own that's why I've said sort of I've given it like a five year in my head in the next five years I want to find another author and take them on this journey with me mm -hmm. um, plus also over the next five years I want to publish my own books and learn what works and what doesn't so this time around I've I've done everything um mm -hmm. and so I sort of I know who the best editor for this genre is and then if I write a different genre I'll, I'll find my editor for that and that way when I find somebody because it's such a people put their hearts into their work and I don't want to I don't want to mess it up basically mm -hmm. so at least when I find, find someone who's mad enough to, to trust me with their book <laughs> then I can say, oh, I know this great author. Oh, I know this great cover designer. Oh, I, and, and I don't want to be mm -hmm. a vanity press because there are vanity presses out there where you pay to publish your work. And I could set up because I've got I've got all the behind the scenes set up. So I could say, oh, you know, give me 500 quid and I'll publish a book. But I don't want to do that. I want it to be my investment in them because I want them to know that I believe in them the way that I'm believing in myself. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's really important for people to believe, to, to, for people to know that somebody believes in them yeah it really is it's beautiful it's really beautiful thank you for sharing that that's okay so what are the can you give a, a thumbnail sketch of when you're saying like there's all of this stuff right like what or what or you even like what are the things that were easy or like that surprised you that you thought oh I didn't know someone had to do this <laughs> I don't know so, <clears throat> publishing it on Amazon KDP is so mm -hmm. straightforward, so user-friendly. The only downside is Bezos takes a lot of your money. Um, or yeah. Jeff. He doesn't really need any more. <laughs> no, 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 tell me about it. I mean, another thing that kicked off this journey was I looked at my paperback sales for the light and he made more than me on my paperbacks and he didn't write it. No. And so no, I was like, didn't. this he didn't do anything. There's got to be a different, there's got to yeah. be a different way to do this. So, um, mm -hmm. I still work with KDP directly because you get the best royalties on your eBooks. Um, okay. And then I use a company called Ingram Sparks for like my print on demand um, service, but they do also supply online bookstores like Barnes and Noble and stuff like that. Okay. Then I work with Gardeners, another distributor that gets it into UK bookstores such as like Foils and Waterstones and things like that. So it's 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 a lot of steps to reach mm -hmm, one like it. Mm -hmm. and it's been a lot of paperwork and a lot of stress, but we're nearly there. Um, <laughs> I say <laughs> me, it's just me, but yeah, we're nearly there. Um, but one thing that did surprise <laughs> me is um, <clears throat> I never ever realised that 
I would have to pay an additional fee to get my synopsis for my book put on bookstores' websites. That shocked me. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's an annual fee as well. Oh, okay, great. (laughs) So at times, in my lower moments in this process, I have felt like it's a bit of a money racket. Um, But it hasn't put me off. If anything, it's made me more determined because Mm -hmm. it's not fair to do that to people. So Yeah. No, it's true. Like I, um, for different reasons, this research, uh, you know, I'm just very curious about random rabbit holes. And so many of the like famous musicians are people that come from money. <laughs> like, like they have the story, oh, I was discovered, but it was also like, they weren't like, they weren't living in like a, you know, <laughs> you know, they weren't living know, in kind of like, <laughs> I don't even know, like they weren't, you know, they, they were fine, like living off their parents' money or their trust fund and like paying PR firms to get the word out. It wasn't like they, you know, sort of like worked at a restaurant for, and not like I think people need to suffer, but as one of those things where I was like, oh, like the reason a lot of like very talented artists, writers, like visual artists, musicians or whatever, don't ever get even to like a point of viability, right? Like, cause we also have this weird idea that like you have to be like a superstar and it's really just like, let's get to a point of viability and how do you get there? And honestly, for a lot of people, it's come from money because like you said, like in order to get those additional and you, and the thing is, it's not like, it's never one thing, right? Like you can't pay for like the big billboard and then suddenly people flock to you like they do in a movie. It's consistent, regular output. It's consistent presence. And then, and so it's like, you know, do I have to pay this fee? Is it worth it to actually get the the presence? And and like you said, it is. A, it does feel a little bit like a money racket. <laughs> well, I imagine and most un, you know industries are like that. Like I imagine, yeah, everybody. Not even creative industry. I think all industries are a bit of a. a they've generally got some kind of money racket going on. Yeah, I mean. I'm not super pro capitalism and I know this is at the point of this, so I'll stay, but, but yes, I think that we, I think we have it a little backwards with how we do in those ways. Like it would be, because here's the thing, there's this, uh, a friend of mine was running for Senate actually a couple of years ago and she's an, she had an, an, a degree in economics and was talking about like the ways in which we need to fund artists, which I thought was really great. Like, and she said, yeah. anybody who thinks we shouldn't, should spend, and she said a month, which I'm like, that's way too long, but she's spent a month without any art. Don't watch any shows, take the pictures off your wall, don't read any books, don't listen to any music, and see how long you can do that before you want to claw your eyes out. <laughs> because, I mean, you couldn't, right? Like, you couldn't actually do it. Like, you would, you would be confronted by art at some point because it's everywhere. But at some, but we still have this weird, at least culturally here, and it sounds like similarly there, like this weird sort of like, well, we shouldn't have to pay people to produce it. It's like, but we want it. We need it. It makes all of the other things that we're doing less tedious. Like if I can listen to music while I'm cleaning, I enjoy my cleaning better. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so you get it's to just quicker as well, don't you? <laughs> yeah. And I, and, and I, yeah, and I'm like, you know, and I get it done with style. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to embarrass my kids so much. It's just like no problems with being a weirdo in public. But um, I'm that person that like kids. dances, you know, in the I grocery line. Yeah. 
So also make shopping it's actually better. Christmas. When they play the Christmas hit. It's my all I want. Oh yeah, we're gonna start this musical podcast now. No. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and so but her point, I was like, yeah, no, it's really true. Like you said, like I hadn't really thought about it, and I'm like, we if but we don't we don't like treat it like it's valuable, but we need it, right? In the same way that we need you know people to raise our children and care for them, but we don't necessarily treat that labor like it's valuable, and. And so that's where I get kind of off on some of the ways that we handle like money and incentives is that our lives would be so empty without the creative expression that people offer. And we'd all feel a loss and a diminishment, even, even folks that don't necessarily value it directly. And yet we still haven't had the, you know, political will, I guess, to, to really push forward and say, no, we need this to be, you know, valued as a, as a, as a part of our industry. So yeah. that's my, I guess, moment of, prof- you know, profound thought or whatever. <laughs> I like it. I agree with that. <laughs> so, and you said one of your dreams would love be to see your book in an actual bookshop. Has that happened yet? Or it's like, what's the steps to make that happen? Um, so once you've got it on like the 50 distributors, or I think it was mm-hmm. three, but I'm going to be dramatic and say 50. Let's say 50. I'm good with that. No one's going to check it. (laughs) um, Then you have to write to bookshops, book chains with what's called um, an advanced information sheet. So that outlines, you've got to have the blurb in there. You've got to have a summary. You've got to have your target audience, um, a sample, the RP, basically everything they would need to make a decision on whether they stop your Mm -hmm. or not. So it hasn't happened to us yet, but then is an independent bookshop in the city near me that has told me to write to them when it's released and they will consider stocking a copy so hopefully come september i'll be able to physically see my book in a shop either that or i'll just start sneaking them in i don't know yeah you'll just drop them off (laughs) you need to do like a public reading and author signing or something so you can have like a bookshop have you sort of like be there they're like wednesday night treat (laughs) i've got um, (laughs) a launch party on the first awesome. at a local okay. day and I'm terrified um but I will be doing a very brief very very brief reading there and I've got a few copies to sell but it's it's not a bookshop but I'm, I just want to get together and have a few drinks and celebrate this journey or commemorate this journey however you look at it <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely I think you celebrate for sure I mean it's such an accomplishment to you know, like you said be mad enough to go from not, you know, thinking about it to doing it and then to go from the ease of the, the BASO system to actually taking on and publishing your work. Like that's a, that's a lot. And I think that like, we're often very outcome oriented and, and it's not that outcomes aren't important. However, if we focus on what we accomplish, like our process, like the things we're in control of, like, then it's easier to feel that sense of satisfaction with your work and to kind of be content versus like if you're focused only on the outside things that you don't control, it's a lot harder to to maintain that sense of mental stability and contentedness. So celebrate. That's what I say. <laughs> it's such an accomplishment. It's interesting that you say about the outcome because um, I've sort of spent the last few days, oddly enough, in a bit of a funk. I've come out of it today, thankfully, um, about, about sales, just thinking like, is it going to sell? Is anybody going to read it? And then it was, it was last night I was there like well 
even if this one doesn't, I've laid the groundwork for the one that might. And also I've learned so much and I've met so many lovely people in this process mm-hmm. that I'm trying to now just focus, like you say, just focus on the journey rather than the outcome. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong, it'd be lovely to sell like 50 million copies, but that's I mean, not going to happen. Uh, I mean, you know, who knows? Don't say that. Like, you know, it's always possible. <laughs> After the Kardashians call you, suddenly everyone's going to want true. your book. True. <laughs> That's just how oh, it goes, right? We're on the phone now. Hello, Kim. How are you? <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, no, that sounds like a great, a great process. And then in terms of, I guess another question you said that, you know, we're looking for your art. Uh, finding that did you find like an artist that you connected with for the cover art or did you have to commission something or did you find a piece that you lot got rights for I'm always curious about how artists work with other artists <laughs> well I found I sort of went on Shutterstock and just had a look through images mm-hmm. to see what inspired me um, I found a few that I downloaded and then I went on Fiverr and found this incredibly talented woman, German creative, Les. And um, I sent her my terrible mock-up. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible, honestly, it was shocking. And they turned it into this, this cover that I absolutely love. It's so, it's so like simplistic and it's exactly what I wanted. Like they even managed to somehow get the right font like from my mm. brain. Um, so I'm definitely gonna keep working with them. In fact, I've commissioned them to do the cover of the follow-up book to this one because I just I think they're very very talented so yeah I was very lucky because that was the the second person I think I contacted so I got very lucky I didn't have to go on too many blind dates so to speak (laughs) it is like a it is a kind of matchmaking process when you're doing something like shared creation there's an, an intimacy to it that is very it can be very vulnerable I mean I think some people can do it from a mental place but that's just not Sounds like your style, yeah. and I, I relate to that. Yeah. Something I find a lot of joy in creating with as part of so for me, like the podcast, like the opportunity to talk to people and also really work to like support and promote things that I think are good, but like I just don't think we get that same level of like attention. Uh like the the mainstream media and the dominant stories are all very Kind of depressing <laughs> yeah. and all is it, obviously it's not really true but the, the preponderance of depression and despair is like really could we talk about because there's so many people who are out there really working to either create or work to make things better or work to build something that is more sustainable and more functional for a larger number of people and for some reason that information just stays sort of less shared and it's just I well, think that if we can just get a little more hope, we'll all do better. <laughs> there is um, a saying amongst journalists that I learned at university, not from any of my teachers, mine. <laughs> um, if it bleeds, it leads. People mm-hmm. like to read about despair. They yeah. did a study, and I'm probably misquoting this completely because it was years ago, but they basically did a study on front pages of newspapers and say one's that feature pictures from war zones outsell ones that feature pictures of new babies because people prefer. I mean, that was like yeah. 20 years ago. So it might be different. It might be worse. It might be better. But <laughs> if it leads, it leads is what they used to say. And I, mm-hmm. I do 
not agree with that because I don't like, like to obviously read all this fear mongering mm-hmm. and sad stuff. I don't like to read it, but I'm drawn to read it. There's something in me, like a, a mm-hmm. human need. It's like the um, explosion of true crime dramas at the yeah. moment, true crime podcast. I mean, I was like, when they first came out, I was like, I'm never listening to that. Got no interest in it. And now I'm like, oh, get the murders. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I think it's, it's just a human. I don't know if it's, it makes us feel better because we're not in that situation. I don't know if it's a form of survival because we want to learn why that happened to this person so we can avoid it happening to us. I think there's a whole psyche behind it. And the press in general have picked up on that because where the money goes is where they're going to go. And now we're stuck mm-hmm. in this cycle of never ending negativity mm-hmm. because it works. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. If it's, if it's effective, there we go touching my face, but <laughs> <laughs> those are the rules. I break them, but I try not to. Um, right. No, it is. It's, and that's, and the thing is those things happen and it's not bad. It's just, there's, in my opinion, we're too far that way. And so it just, for me, it's saying, all right, what can we do? And, and not in a, like, sweep it all under the rug. Like, there's a lot going on that is not good and needs to be dealt with. However, it's kind of what you were talking about, I think, right before we hopped on, which is that as humans, we tend to be so problem-focused. And it's a very difficult to create when you're constantly focusing on problems. So, in, so the other piece for me is saying, all right, a, a colleague of mine several years ago, we were talking about inclusion, right? And she asked, what does an inclusive society look like? And I honestly reflect on that. I wouldn't say daily, but regularly, because I'm like, oh, if we don't know what an inclusive society looks like, we're not going to get there. And instead of focusing on all the ways in which we are discriminatory and exclusive, which do need to be dealt with, or so maybe not instead of, but in addition to noticing the problems, we also have to imagine the solutions we have to give ourselves something to work towards because what you focus on is does tend to be what you create. So like they, they taught us that in driving class. They're like, if you're driving and there's a red truck and you don't want to hit it, instead of saying, don't hit the red truck, you say, stay in the middle of the road. Because if you keep saying to yourself, don't hit the red truck, you are likely to go hit the red truck. It's just how our <laughs> brains work. That's what you're focusing on. <laughs> And so similarly, if we want to create a society that's inclusive or, you know, lifts people up or we work together, we have to look towards the middle of the road, but we have to know what that, where that is. And right now we're just always like, oh, we don't want to do the red truck. And that's why we keep hitting it. Like we haven't come up with our dream of like inclusion or vision for it. And I think partially because we've never seen it or if we have, we didn't know it. I don't know, but not to be despairing, but like that it's, you get it. And it's and we do need to notice the problems because they, they exist. They're real. And if we don't do this step of imagining something else, it's I mean, we'll, we could get there by accident, but I don't know. <laughs> I think hopefully it's going to continue. But I think the world in general and obviously I say this from a very privileged position of being a, a cis white woman. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that each generation is getting slightly better. Yeah, because just from being a woman, um, Mm -hmm. I can tell the difference between somebody that would have been in my grandparents' age group, somebody in my parents' age group, and somebody in my age group, and somebody in Gen Z. That that the way they they treat women, it's Mm -hmm. so up here. You've got like stay in the kitchen, 
Right. Down there, you've got be in the kitchen but have a job as well. <laughs> here, you've got have it all. And down here, you've got mm-hmm. just be happy, basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I hope it carries on like that because I think that's the only way that one day we'll have this tolerant society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Well, and obviously we've had some setbacks here in the U.S. Um, and <laughs> and I've been looking at like the the history and I didn't realize until I looked into it a little more deeply, like women in our country couldn't have bank accounts until the late 60s, like legally. And so it's like, oh, no wonder there was this weird sort of like manipulate men kind of attitude amongst our, you know, mothers and grandmothers. That was their only access to survival, right? Like, and, and so like seeing the ways in which women have like also had to evolve to like be able to recognize like, oh, we, we don't have to try and manage somebody else. We, we can actually just do our thing. But I, I feel like it makes more sense to me as to why that's taken more time. Cause that I can't imagine if I couldn't like manage my own money. Like <laughs> what would that Imagine be like? That. I read some research for a different, a completely different book um, at the moment. And I never knew that there was a clause. So after World War II and women, this is obviously in the UK is what I've been researching. When, when women, it was more acceptable for them to have a job. There was still, mm-hmm. I think it was called the marriage clause. So once you got married, you had to give up your job. And that's mad to me. Like, I couldn't imagine having got married to my husband and then, oh, thanks, thanks for everything. See you later. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. and that wasn't that long ago. That was like in the 50s, 60s. Like you say, it's it's not hundreds, the way you think about it, you think of hundreds and hundreds of years ago and it just wasn't. And yeah. And hopefully things like Black Lives Matter and trans rights and all that are on the same journey that women's rights have been on. Um, mm-hmm. and hopefully they'll get the same support that they did from the, the feminists and and LGBT and all that sort of stuff, the people that are a little bit further up the ladder, because equal rights isn't about the person at the top of the ladder having to come down, it's about helping everybody get to that top of the ladder, that's what this perfect society would be, is everybody's at the top of the ladder, everyone's got the same opportunities, no one has to be scared to be who they are or who they love or any of that, but it's just helping each other up. So, yeah, yeah, I can't really word it any better. Like, my brain's not working. But, yeah, it's, it's a ladder and everyone's on different stages of the, the rung. I mean, some people, Donald Trump, are right at the top of the ladder <laughs> and unaware of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, unfortunately, I don't think people like that are ever going to help anybody else get up the ladder. So it's up to everybody else to get everybody up there altogether. Yeah, we were, we all rise together, like, and in, in the more we can work together and do what we can to help one another. And, and that's the other thing too, for me is that, and also I love the way you said that just did I, and the, it's beautiful. It was beautiful. And I think that when I look at it, it's because, you know, in the, in the midst of everything, it's like, wow, things have been hard and it feels, like I said, like there's that despair. And at the same time, like, there's so much going on that's good. And so we can contribute, you know, to the, those in our communities, or we can like go out and see how to show up for a rally or a cause that is needing that support. If we have that space and time and, and just to recognize that if we each do just a little bit, wherever we can, because those grand sweeping gestures and the, like, you know, the, the one, you know, 
what is it, the <laughs> Muad'Dib coming in to save us all. Like, you know, it's not just as, I never want anyone to have that much power because then what's going to happen if they decide to like be a jerk? Suddenly they're going to cause a lot of harm. It's yeah. much better if we could all work together to create something that's truly sustainable. And there's a, there, I think it's David Wong. I really appreciated his perspective is, and I'll quote it inaccurately, but it was something along the lines of if there are two kinds of people, it's those who believe we can coexist as differences and different tribes and those who believe one thing has to be dominant. And I'm in that we, I believe we can coexist. I don't have to have the same politics or the same way of doing things with, and still be able to respect that, you know, you have your situation and I have mine. <laughs> and you're like, how you're doing that it is perfectly fine for you. And, as long as you're yeah. kind to everybody and never, never try, because obviously you're going to hurt people at some point in time, but as long as you never go into any situation with malice, then I think you're, you're okay and you're my kind of person but if you have malice in your heart and your interactions then that's like you say that's that kind of person that doesn't think we can coexist and we ain't got no time for you buddy yeah we gotta gotta move forward so um we're getting close to wrapping is there anything um so your book comes out on september 2nd so we should, oh, yeah, we should be looking for that <laughs> and then um anything else that anything happening that you want to let people know about uh we i'll pop your website up this best way to get a hold of uh steph you want to have her on your podcast or you want to buy her book or sign up for her newsletter let's go there uh <laughs> i promise i'll behave better on any other podcasts <laughs> <laughs> um and, but yeah anything else or um so i've just joined Wattpad. so if you have a fancy reading my terrible first drafts of ideas hmm. you can find on there under sm thomas writes because sm thomas was taken um, mm -hmm. and who is that person what are I they know. thinking i know do they I'm at least create because if I, they don't I create actually, i haven't looked them up i'm gonna look them up <laughs> send them a message <laughs> like, excuse me if you're not using this name i want it thank you <laughs> <laughs> Other than the disease, I mean, that's literally 90% of my life at the moment, getting that book off the ground, and the other 10% is writing body count, so <laughs> <laughs> there's not much else me, I'm afraid. <laughs> that's awesome. No, you have to focus, like, there's a, that's how you get things done, focus, <laughs> so I feel that. Well, thank you so much for coming and uh, joining me today, sharing what you're up to and your journey. I appreciate it. Thank you for it. having me. And then, um, let me see, I have a, wait a minute. So it, next week I'm doing a podcast with Julie. I'm going to pop that up for people to see. She works in inclusion. So a nice segue from our chat today. And um, she will talk about her company and the ways in which they have worked to build allyship. And I'm going to have her also talk about her children's books, because I think that's pretty cool that she wrote inclusion focused cool. children's books. <laughs> Yeah, she's a really neat. Yeah, I like follow, I follow her on uh, LinkedIn. She's got really interesting stuff that she's talking about. Um, very practical, you know. Um, and so, and we'll see. So, hopefully, we'll see some of you guys next week. And thank you so much for being here with me today, Steph. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to my nonsense. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye.